for Thought on WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. It's been said that change is certain, but growth is optional. I think about my dad, who was born in 1914 and died around the turn of the century. He saw a lot of change during his years on this earth, from riding a mule to seeing a man walk on the moon, from the Great Depression to watching a mediocre actor become a pretty decent president who switched political parties, or as he explained it, they switched on him. Regardless, my dad saw a lot of movements appear on the scene of American life. Women's suffrage, prohibition, civil rights, women's rights, as well as the peace movement. Change was certainly certain during his life, and it was these different movements that sparked the change that has lasted until today. Intrigued by the movements of my father and my lifetime that served as a catalyst for change, I discovered from cultural anthropologist David Aberle, there are four kinds of social movements, alternative, redemptive, reformative, and revolutionary. And these four are based on two questions. Who is the movement attempting to change and how much change is being advocated? Social movements are informal coalitions of people or groups that are intent on carrying out, resisting, or undoing a social change. And social change is simply an alteration in the structures, institution, or practices of a society. Jerry and I, along with our board of directors at the Food Bank Council of Michigan, with the help of our sponsor, Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, created Food for Thought to change the conversation about food insecurity across Michigan. We've done that and will continue to do it more. The show has garnered two awards, and most recently, the Excellence in Broadcasting from the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Our guest list reads like a who's who of influencers from all facets of life in and around Michigan. Now it's time for a change. This is the last Food for Thought show Jerry and I will host Come back and hear about what's next for us, our show, and our new objective that's changing much more than just the conversation. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening, and hope you're still listening after that monologue. Were you surprised? You know, I'll tell you, it's it's it it it's ominous to hear last, but but here's here's how I think of it as as we continue to evolve. You know, probably early, maybe one of the first shows, you had a quote from Ronald Reagan that said, "We started a war on poverty, and poverty won." Right. So I'm going to tell you the reason poverty won is because we didn't put food first. Hmm. It is the the genesis of this change from Food for Thought, which has been the name of our show, and it's really reflected our whole purpose of changing the conversation, as you just said, 
to now what we want to say is a movement. Food first. You will never win the war on poverty if you don't put food first. And that is where we're headed. Well, as I said, Jerry, in the monologue that change is inevitable, growth is optional, and we're choosing to grow. So Food for Thought has had a great purpose. It's garnered two awards in two years and just two and a half years of its existence, and we have used it to change the conversation about food insecurity across the Michigan. Now, we're going to continue to do that work, but that's not just our work. Our work is the embodiment of creating a movement that will help us accomplish both the personal and the political will to bring about social change so that people have access to healthy, nutritious food and hunger gets finally taken off the table across our entire state. And the difference is, as you said, is creating, is changing a conversation to creating a movement. And that's why we're here. So why food first? Why is that so important? Well, you and I didn't say so. But this guy named Abraham Maslow's had made it pretty clear that in his hierarchy of needs, which is a theory of motivation for every human on the planet, I don't care what country or culture you live in, we all work through Maslow's hierarchy of need. And the highest, that's not the right way to say it, the most important need is the first need, and that's physiological. And that includes food, water, warmth, and rest. And it's, it's so important that we understand that unless you are food secure, if you are suffering under the toxic stress of food insecurity, then you have one problem. Not two, just one, because you're thinking about what do I need to eat And what do I need to give my children? And the longer food insecurity lasts, the more true that statement is. So we can all even choose to fast, right? We can choose fasting. And there's a whole conversation going on about periodic fasting and how it's good for your health. And I'm not going to argue with any of that. But I'll tell you, when you're in the midst of fasting, you're thinking a little more about food than when you're not. I promise you that. Sure. So then eventually, you know, you get finished with that and you move on with your life, right? But food insecurity isn't about fasting. It's about the uncertainty and stress that comes with knowing even if you're working a job or sometimes two, you're not able to make ends meet. The trade-offs that you have every month are still enormous and complicated and your your world gets narrower and narrower as you suffer from food insecurity longer and longer. So by putting food first, we are expanding people's opportunity. We're, we're taking a world that's become narrow and we're broadening it some. And you have to broaden people's potential to solve their problems for themselves if you're going to have a food secure community. And that's why you can't solve poverty without food first. I agree with you 100%. And we've been asking people to, as we've done Food for Thought for two and a half years, to listen to us as we tried to change the conversation about food insecurity. So what's the difference with the new show that we're calling the Food First News Hour? Well, the difference is we're not going to just ask you to listen. 
we're going to ask you to do. Because talk is cheap if all you do is talk. So we're going to ask you to be involved with us. We're always going to talk about volunteer opportunities, but we're going to talk about it food first as a top-of-the-mind conversation. And then there's going to be some some political issues, some policy issues that come up where we're going to need folks to engage with us. But it's really about keeping this at the top of mind that if we can create food first, a movement across Michigan, we're going to have the opportunity to change the future of our state as well as the people who are struggling, as you described, with a little bit more month than they have money. And so when we say calls to action, just to remind you, who are we talking about? Who are we taking action for? 47% of the households that our food bank network serves are employed. So we're talking about people who are employed. We're talking about 25% of the people we help our children. 19% are senior citizens, right? Only 6% are homeless. So when you look at all of the people who Food First is benefiting and who we're asking you to take calls to action to help, we're talking about people who can and will and want to be successful. Absolutely. Well, we want to talk a little bit more about Food First and this transition from Food for Thought show to Food First show And we're going to continue to do that in our next segment, talking about who it is that we're standing in the gap for. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought on WJR with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought, soon to be Food First for the Food First News Hour. Jerry, you're talking about who's hungry in Michigan. And you gave some good statistics there. I'd like for you to give them again, but I think you've got some more data that really digs down in to who it is that we're talking about that's struggling with food insecurity across the state. Exactly right. So I will. 47% of households that we serve have at least one employed adult. So we're talking about people who are employed. And on many of our shows, we've talked about how um, it's so important to, to imagine a safety net that, that really helps people stay at work. And part of the reason is 47% of the households we have we serve have at least one employed adult. But then 25% are children. And it, we've talked about the community wants third grade reading level by third grade. And I promise you, if 25% of the people we help are children and those children are going to school hungry, they are not reaching third grade reading level by third grade. This Which been, is the best indicator for graduation rates. It is exactly right. And so we talk about food first as a movement because without this movement, we will not solve complex social problems like education. You can't do it. And 19% are senior citizens. So these are community members who have lived their life, most of whom never needed help in their life. And now they're at a place where the cost of living has has increased faster than their savings could manage. Well, what you're talking about here, Jerry, is really answering three critical questions designed to define reality. Because until you do, that's the first responsibility of leadership, right? So who's hungry? Who is hungry in Michigan? And how much help do they need? And for how long? 
And, and so you've got some data there, so share that with us, not only about who's hungry, but how much help do they need? So we know that on average, a food insecure person in Michigan is running short between five and six meals a week, right? Between five and six meals a week. That's how much, right? right. Now, when we, when we extrapolate that just a little bit more, we know that doesn't spread evenly across the month. <laughs> so those five or six meals a week don't happen week one, week two, week three, week four of the month. They're fine week one, fine week two. Maybe are missing those six meals on week three and dang near running out of food completely by week four. So they're missing more like not just six meals a week, but more like 12 or somewhere between 12 and 18 meals a week. And imagine that. Wow. I mean, it's it's hard when you're when you're struggling to make ends meet and when your job isn't uh, isn't enough to make ends meet and you still got to get kids to school and deal with a flat tire and all the other challenges that life throws at you. So it leads to trade-offs. Exactly right. So you're choosing between paying your rent or paying your utilities or getting food for your family and that's, you know, that's a very tough thing to live through. Um, but it's also why if you don't take this hunger issue off the table, it's so much harder to get at those other things that you're struggling to solve. So your life is so close to your face. You're, you're just going moment to moment to moment. So here's some data that we have to talk about the toxic stress of trade-offs and why the importance of putting food first in a person's life for all of our problems. 69% have had to choose between paying their utilities and buying food. 65% had to choose between paying for transportation and food. 63% had to choose between medicine and food. And finally, 53% had to choose between housing and food. So when you talk about housing for just a moment, and you're talking about third grade reading level by third grade, and that's the predictor of graduation rates. What happens when you have to choose between paying your rent and buying food? Well, if you choose to have to buy food, and at some point you do have to, according to Maslow and a lot of life experience, right? You do eventually get so hungry you have to eat. That what happens to those families? They leave the school district, right? Right. Right. And in some school districts, you have less than half of the of the students who start the school year finishing the school year in the same school. So what are the relationships with the teachers? What are the relationships with the administrators? What are the social fabric relationships in the community that are getting disrupted time and time again because people end up having to move? But aren't you being I'm being the, the advocate here, right? But aren't we being a little simplistic to say Food first fixes that. Well, what I would say to that is food first is going to fix. Well, let me put it a different way. You can say we want to solve something else first. So if you do without fixing food first, it's going to be a lot harder. Right. So let's say you say we want to we want to fix rent first. Housing. Right. So so it's true. Fixing housing is critically important. We need to do it. But if you fix housing without fixing food, you're still going to have people, or let me put it a different way. If you try to fix housing without fixing food, you're only going to fix a certain percentage of it. 
Mm-hmm. Because you still have this persistent problem that's nagging at people that's going to keep them from paying their rent, even if you get them settled for today, right? So you say, here's how we're going to fix your rent today, but we're not going to fix food. So now this problem comes along, this problem comes along, this problem comes along, and suddenly rent is in trouble again. Well, I'm not. So the psychological needs from Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need are physiological, which he in this graph I have says food, water, warmth, rest. But you don't get warmth. I mean, you might get warmth, but you don't get rest if you're hungry. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Food first. You've got to do food first, and then everything else becomes easier. But but it doesn't mean everything else is solved. Right. So it's just trying to solve the things you need to solve first so everything else becomes that much easier. So just to if you're tuning in right now, just want everyone to catch up here that Jerry and I have been doing a show here for two and a half years. Uh, Wait, we've been doing an award winning show for two and a half years called Food for Thought. And this is the last Food for Thought show because our next show is going to be called the Food First News Hour because we're taking on a different opportunity. And that is we've been trying to change the conversation about food insecurity across Michigan, and we've done that. But now we're moving toward a movement, something that creates both the political and personal will across our state so that when we adapt the philosophy of food first, it really begins to impact societal problems, particularly poverty, education, workforce retention, and health care. And so what happens when you don't solve food first is part of what we're going to be talking about. And then the calls to action that we need to do in order to solve food first. So, so I'm going to do a little bit of a teaser here and just say, you know how much it costs just in health care? Not to put food first. You know how much it costs a year just in healthcare when you don't put food first. So you're going to talk to us about that and give us the answer on the other side of this break. There Is that go. right? That's right. So he's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food for Thought for the last time before we become food first. Come back and be with us. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Food for Thought here. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, and a transition show here. And you've teased us up here that if we don't put the new name of the show, Food First, first... There's a cost. There is, and it's a tremendous cost. In healthcare alone, in the United States alone, $160 billion a year are being spent because we're not putting food first. That's $160 billion. Now, I just want to put that in some kind of context. When people talk about entitlements, so SNAP is one of the biggest entitlements. It's a $70 billion program. We are wasting more than twice the cost of that entire program in healthcare alone when we don't put food first. Now, why is that? Because food is so important to our life in so many ways. And, and concretely speaking, if you are getting any prescription medication, the likelihood is that that medication says take with food. Because 
70% of all prescriptions either say you can take it with food or you need to take it with food, right? right? 70% of all prescription medication. So when you know that food is so important for medication to work right, and then you don't address it, you're working against one of the most expensive parts of our economy right now. It's just 160 billion, right? Right. Come on. I mean, really? Do we need any more evidence? The importance and the priority of food first. So, and 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 when we talk about who wins when this problem is solved, it it's so clear. Not only all of us are paying the price for higher health care. All of us are paying that price, right? Businesses are paying that price every day in the premiums that they're paying. Healthcare is paying that price when they have to, you know, treat a person multiple times for the same thing because, oh, you know what? They went home and didn't have food and couldn't get that done, right? So all of us are paying the price for not putting food first and we have to change that right and that's right. and 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 to change that you need to have a movement you need you need to have enough people saying to the right people you know we could do this differently and everyone would save money yeah it's going to cost something for food but compared to what it cost not without or without the food it's a ridiculously huge gap right and so there you know that's pretty clear that's pretty clear evidence but Jerry, we know from the work that the seven food banks do from across the state that there is direct and in, and in some aspects immediate impact into the household. What does the food when you put food first in a household and that food, that that household becomes food secure? What's the impact? You know, ultimately, we get to live in the community we want to live in, hmm. right? So you put, you provide food security for people, that benefits the household. You you reach enough households, and that benefits the entire community. And so, taking everything to scale, which we've talked about many times on Food for Thought, and now we're going to push harder for on Food First, taking programs to scale that we know work, because there's enough that we know works that we can start having a much bigger impact if right. we can take them to scale. So continuing to increase investment in the right ways with a clear return on that investment to the whole community is part of what Food First is is endeavoring to do and what we hope a movement will enable. So so measurable community improvements, we've talked about several of them already. Education, Mm -hmm. right? We know we want kids to thrive in school. We know they can't thrive in school without food, so we need to put food first. Healthcare, we know that... People with chronic health conditions need to have healthy food in order for their medicine and their treatment plans to work. So we need to take that solution, broaden it to as, as expansively as we can to reduce overall the cost of health care. But not only that, when people have to spend less time in the hospital or less time in the emergency room, that is fundamentally more time to do other things. How many times do you want to go to the emergency room this year? None. Right. And so if the thing that's putting you back in the emergency room is you don't have enough healthy food, why are we doing that? It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Well, and it's you made this point on Food for Thought through the years very well, and that is food is cheap. It's it's not we're not talking about a more expensive solution. We're talking about a less expensive solution. 
We just had uh, uh, Susan Hawkins, who's the Senior Vice President of Population Health at Henry Ford Health System, on the show talking about how food is reducing both emergency room visits and the need for hospitalization at a cost delivered to the home of $2.80 a meal. That's delivered to the home. Hmm. Right. It's it's the whole process of referral, food, transportation, delivery, and almost 94 percent satisfaction by the people getting the food. It's what they want to need. It's it's and the social connection for for people is even an add on to the actual cost reductions. It's been an amazing, amazing pilot with them. So what more? What I mean, how much more do you need to know? Right. How much more proof? Well, here's what we do know. When you put food first in a household, there, the quality of the food has an impact on the household's health. We know that. We were talking about a study in our partnership, the one that you guys have with Henry Ford Health System, the one that's happening at the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan with, uh, with McLaren, and then also uh, food gatherers in Ann Arbor and the partnerships. This is getting proved over and over. We also know that when the food hits the household, that that household becomes more stable, Right. I mean, they're not having to spend money on that food. The, the, the shortfall they have in more month than money, they're not having to spend that on food or nearly as much as food, and it's stabilizing the household. And then what's the other one? There's an empowerment uh, aspect to the impact of the food as well. That's exactly right. And so when we talk about empowerment, we talk about what are people capable of doing now that they might not have been capable of doing before? Right? right, it's something they can do. It's not something being done to them or for them. It's being done by them. It's it's your example of not having to go to the emergency room. They're able to invest their time in something far more productive. Exactly right. And our fundamental belief is that the people who need assistance for a period of time, especially food assistance, have the capacity to change their life for the better. Without question, they they are the most important part of the solution, and so we respect them, right? Mm-hmm. We respect them. They're they're these are people worth investing in. That's our whole fundamental principle. And so, as you invest in people, and the expectation is they can do a lot for themselves, they will do a lot for themselves. You will find that fewer and fewer people need the safety net. Well, there's an so there is an you know the, the health impact might take a while. The empowerment might be realized a little sooner. The stability is fairly, you know, current, but the the direct economic impact of the food first in the household is unquestioned. And we have seen success in Michigan. Now, we talked about we've had economic expansion for a long time, and that makes a huge difference. A job is what people want. So if we can keep people in their jobs... They are going to do better and better and better. And we have seen a a 2% improvement in the food uh, security rate in Michigan over the last few years. Over the last five years, we've dropped from 16.2% to 14.2%. That's a two percentage drop. And then when you do the math and you figure out the number of people, 1.6 million people or so, uh, that that are... Uh, constantly, consistently, food insecure, 
What does that mean? Well, you're talking probably somewhere around 40,000 people who are no longer food insecure. Now, do we think we're, we're the only cause for that? No. As you said, we've had great economic expansion. And so from that all the way to us, we think that this has been a tremendous team effort between all of us involved in creating this work and, and, and 40,000 people no longer needing our services. I think that's a tremendous. If we can do that for in the next five years, we're going to be making a lot of progress. Exactly right. 40,000 more, 40,000 more, 40,000 more. And you just eventually, with that attitude and this principle and putting food first, we will have a food secure community. And that will be good for us all. It will be. Now, Jerry, to be candid with you, we made a lot of progress over the overall food insecurity weight. We're not making near the progress with children, and I think that's going to have to become a focus of making sure that kids in Michigan have their food. Get ready for that call to action. There is no reason any child in our state should be food insecure. We're going to pick that up and more on this last edition of Food for Thought. You'll come back and be with Jerry and me in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to the last edition of Food for Thought. But stay tuned for next week because our new show, DePuts, and that is the Food First News Hour. So why News Hour, Jerry? Well, because we're not an entertainment show, right? We're talking about the hard facts and hard truths of life, and that's what news ought to be. There's no fake news on this show, right? <laughs> this is all real news. This is all, this is all the things that matter if you want a community to be where it should be. So you said earlier today in the show that 47% of the people who come to our network are have at least one person employed in their household, correct? That's right. So here's the net effect of that. On average, and again, this is just average based on our self-sufficiency standard, that people who are employed are still making less than 70% of what they need in order to not need us, in order for them to be self-sufficient. So they're working. And, you know, it's one thing you can put this in context of the, the work requirement legislation, which I would say... We need to incentivize and reward people for their industry. Rather, anybody can legislate a requirement. It takes leadership to really incentivize it and take these work supports that we have and stretch them across the wage scale so that we help people build wealth rather than make them spend all of it, and then we'll come and give you some help. Well, and... Let's just talk about motivation again. Abraham Maslow's theory is all about motivation. How motivated are you to stay in a job if after working 40 or 50 or sometimes 60 hours a week, you still can't pay your bills? I mean, it's, it's, it's not only incredibly draining, but it's embarrassing. Most people don't get help soon enough, and we have seen this over and over and over because of the shame of needing help. Nobody wants to need help, but... Plenty of people, many, many thousands of people in our state 
still need help, and we have to help them in a way that that maximizes what they can and want to do for themselves. And so if you have policies that don't help people stay at work, not only do they not get the work history that they need and the experience that they need to move up and out, but they're also demoralized and more likely to just stay at home. And that is not the systems you want. Well, if Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need is true, and I believe it is absolutely true, then when you're hungry, you just can't be yourself. Right. Right. So, you know, and I think many of our listeners know that I spent a good portion of my adult career working out of the country. And I saw poverty in East Africa that I'll never get over. And I've, I've, I've shared the story with you and others about uh, going to a refugee camp and the, the matron giving me a little baby to hold. And I held that little baby, hoping that she would come back pretty soon because, you know, I didn't feel like I was the best qualified person to hold that little baby. And when she came back by, I, I asked her how old the child was. And, and the nurse asked me to guess. And I said that, you know that she was like eight weeks old. And the nurse laughed at me and said, no, she's eight months. So what's the difference in a baby, in the size of a baby between eight weeks and eight months? So Jerry, I'm gonna tell you, that was a picture that I saw and I've never gotten over it. And I don't think I'm supposed to. Because when I think about the kids in this state, one in six, going to bed hungry and waking up hungry and not knowing where their next meal is coming from, I find that unacceptable. And in those children lies the potential to cure cancer. In those children lies the potential to have a perfectly green economy. You know, in those children lies the potential to solve the problems we have struggled to solve in our lifetime. And if we don't nourish those children to their full potential, we are all paying the price. And if we don't put food first in their lives, they can never develop and evolve into the person that you just described. And therein lies the rationale, the importance of, and the reason for food first. Well, just, you know, going back to the news hour here Think about what you just said in relation to workforce here in Michigan. There's not a week that goes by that we don't talk about in this state the need for skilled workforce and what we're going to need in the next five years, in the next 10 years. And if we don't get them, we're going to lose this business. There's going to be another brain drain of people leaving Michigan. And it's the... I'm not saying the solution is easy, but I'm telling you the first step of it is simple. Food first, not second, and God forbid, not third. Food first. You know, it's a powerful idea. It's one we've been talking about a lot. We've been changing the conversation. We're now going to ratchet that up. Right? We're going to ratchet mm-hmm. that up. Absolutely. We're going, to have, we're going to have a little bit more for you to do as you're listening to us. And we're going to ask you to help us put food first in this state. 
and that is going to be an exciting journey. So get on board. You know, we talked about it's the the last food for thought, but what's coming is the first food first. And it's coming. It's going to be a good journey. It's going to take us to the next level. And you're coming with us, and we're excited about that. We're going to bring even more people with us, and we are going to put food first and have a food-secure state. Well, Jerry, thank you. It's a little time for a little food for thought. The social change we are tasked to challenge is the acceptability of food insecurity in the life of our children, senior citizens, and everyone in between. There should be an alteration in the structures, institution, and practices that allow one in six children to be without food. I think this reality, regardless of who is to blame, is unacceptable. I think there are plenty of you listening who find it unacceptable as well. Our new show, The Food First News Hour will inspire, challenge, and ask you to come alongside of us. The Food Bank Council of Michigan and our seven Feeding America food banks that are committed to not only changing the conversation, but changing the reality of children of Michigan and anyone else who is held prisoner by the toxic stress of food insecurity. Join us next week as we launch our new show, the Food First News Hour. And until then, remember, it really is food first, folks. Food first. This final edition of Food for Thought with Jerry Brisson and Dr. Phil Knight has been brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Tune in next week for an all-new The Food First News Hour on WJR. WJR.